0: Just go to cars.com. It's magical. Welcome to Women's Hoops and Talks, the What Podcast, where we are elevating
1: the voice of women in basketball. I'm Tara. And I am Cassidy. We have a great show coming up for you, and we've got plenty to talk about with the Blazers. And we also have an interview with our friend Janelle Moore of Golden State of Mind. We're going to talk to her about early season expectations and also preview the matchup with the Warriors coming up on Monday. All right. Yeah. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Oh, we're in. Mid we're still in
0: preseason form, Cassidy. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to get started with our icebreaker. And today's icebreaker comes courtesy of uh, our Twitter friend, Berlicious M. And uh, we put out a call for uh, icebreakers, and if people want to share icebreakers with us on Twitter, that would be great. They could also send us emails, write to us at hoopsandtalks at gmail.com with your icebreaker ideas or anything else that you want to write to us about. And yeah, we are soliciting ideas for icebreakers because we love doing them, but we're also getting a little tired of thinking about every week and we could use some help. (laughs) So today's icebreaker, and because today's episode is actually going to be coming out on Halloween, I forgot I was going to do a spooky intro. Anyway, uh, so the icebreaker is simple. What was your favorite Halloween costume? Cassidy, can you think of one? Uh, Yeah.
1: So this is easy for me. Um, I have a Halloween costume as an adult that I created that I wear just about every year and to other events that maybe are not as costume friendly, like my engagement photos. But um, I have a giant, two actually giant monster costumes, and they're like coats that look like giant fluffy Muppet-like monsters. (laughs) And um, I try not to wear them too much throughout the year uh, because I don't want to scare anybody or like, really frighten anyone but I do wear them occasionally around my house or you know every Halloween or to you know special occasions so this is a good time of year because it's
0: like so cold out right now Mm -hmm. you're one of those people that has like a really super smart costume because you can be warm
1: yeah I have one with short sleeves and one with long sleeves and ventilation and one it's great I'm surprised you never had a basketball costume um, or did you, <laughs> I feel like I probably did at some point. Uh, and I feel like my next monster, the costume that I create is definitely be blazer inspired. Oh. So I did buy fabric. So oh, nice.
0: <laughs> Maybe wearing a Jersey or something like that, or in blazer colors.
1: I think definitely blazer colors. There might be a Jersey or a jacket involved. Yeah. <laughs> right on. Well, How about you? When I was in about
0: third or fourth grade, me and my uh, small group of friends, we went as the uh, fruit in the Fruit of the Loom commercial. So (laughs) we made these giant paper mache costumes like we spent like weeks working on them and for people who are not familiar with the Fruit of the Loom commercial they were like super big in the early 80s and these guys were dressed as fruit and they were all the fruits that were on the label of the Fruit of the Loom underwear And so we thought it would be a really great idea to go as Fruit of the Loom, except for none of us really, like, paid attention to what fruits were actually on the Fruit of the Loom. So we just chose whatever we want. So I was a giant pear, and I don't even know if there's a pear on the Fruit (laughs) of the Loom concert. But it was made of, like, chicken – it was massive. It was so big. It was made out of chicken wire and paper mache and it was so big. And um, I had one friend who actually, like, she grew up with no TV, so she'd never actually seen the commercial. Commercials, so she didn't even know like what we were doing. So she decided to make a um, a grape because she liked grapes, but instead of making like a whole bunch of grapes, she just made one giant grape. (laughs) So I was a pear and she was a grape and another friend was like a bunch of grapes. And I can't remember who else we had, but, um, as is typical in Portland, in Portland, of course, on Halloween, it was pouring down rain. So we had these fantastic paper mache, massive, um, uh Halloween costumes but we had to wear our giant um they were so big that like our moms couldn't get our coats on over them so they basically put us under tarps <laughs> so they cut holes in the tarps. <laughs> we walked around like that so I don't
1: know if it was really my best costume but it was definitely my most memorable <laughs> that's amazing I had a, it's funny you're fruit because I had like a year like seven years in a row that I was some form of food yeah <laughs> that's yeah. quite a run <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> right. It's pretty on. great. Well, let's turn and start talking about the Blazers because the Blazers are off to a start. Uh not exactly a hot start, not a cold start. They are two and two right now. Okay. Um we are recording on Tuesday. So uh, by the time this comes out, there will be one more game. But um, they so they just lost in San Antonio to Lamarcus Aldridge's team. Um, but we were talking about what we want to talk about today, and um, we were wondering about like what's you know what other starts have the Blazers had in the past. And you did a little research. So what did you find out?
1: I have found a lot of things, and I've really come to the conclusion that four games is nothing you can judge a season upon. But <laughs> um, I have done a lot of research about four games. Uh there are eighteen times in Portland Trailblazer history that there have been a two two start to the season. Okay. Um did any of them lead to the championship? No. Okay. Um I don't know what you can say about a two two start, but I can say that it has brought a range of everywhere from a uh, 21-win season to a 53-win season. So the span is endless about the possibilities of what that means. Um. So not surprisingly, it
0: sounds like you did not detect any correlation between 2-2 starts and uh, good or necessarily good or bad season.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't think there is much correlation. Uh, but I can tell you that the way in which the 2-2 start has started with the last one win, win loss is kind of uh, unusual. Uh, that pattern did not come up very often. Uh don't have that number on me. But uh, so I think it's been an interesting thing. But that got me down a whole entire rabbit hole of researching starts to seasons. So I've also researched a bunch of seasons that would kind of be 10 years, like 10 years ago from now and then 10 years ago from them. So the 79, 80, 89 to 90 season, 99 to 2000 season. Kind of like the decade theme. Yeah. Okay. Going back with the decade theme. And those seasons tend to be pretty cool. Uh, The 89-90 season and the 99-2000 season were two of the Blazers' best seasons of all time. Oh. So, I'm going more with this decade theme cuz it leans into my fandom I think a little bit more. <laughs> um, but those were two of the best seasons, another 51 win season, so all three were 51 seasons. to 79-80, we were just getting started after the championship, things happen. So that was the 38 win season, but no big deal. What
0: was um so did you did you look at like like the first 10 games is that where you're looking at?
1: Yeah, first 10 games, and then also, but those are based off of, yeah, the first 10 games of each of those seasons, and then I also have their full records as well. Did the Blazers ever
0: go 10-0 and 0 over the first 10 games? In
1: 1990-91, they went. Oh, that was such a great year. Yeah, made it to the Western Conference Finals, so a fun year for everyone, uh, but yeah, that was a 10-0 start, and we didn't win the championship, we were a 7 and 3 start when we won the championship. So, okay. You know, sometimes you sometimes you got to lose a few games in the beginning to learn. So, just because
0: the Blazers aren't going to go 10 and 0 doesn't necessarily mean they're not going to win the championship. Absolutely. The door is still open. Still open. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think what you said at the beginning about a 2-2 start really not telling us anything about how the uh, season is going to go is uh, pretty spot on. And, you know, that's kind of how the, uh, you know, when we make all these predictions before the season starts and we set our expectations, like they could just all get blown out of the water. Mm-hmm. Um you know, we do our best to see what changes have happened. We do our best to guess how new players or, you know, continuity. That's like the favorite buzzword of the last few years, you know, how those are going to thing. But even in our best guesses, we don't always uh, get it right. And our expectations may fall short. They may be surpassed, Um But, uh, yeah, it's hard to be predicted. Do you find yourself somebody who generally, like, has high expectations of the Blazers going into the season? Or how do you feel like you typically fall?
1: I I feel like I'm always – I feel like for the last, like, three seasons, my guess has been a 52-win game season. I think I just want that to happen. But I also think I would want more games than 52 games. But I think when it comes down to it, I want a good regular season that leads to the playoffs and then I want the playoffs to 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 lead somewhere. So that's do you feel like those are like high expectations? Yeah, I think I do have high expectations, but I think it just yeah, I do have high expectations. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with having high expectations. <laughs> I think I have high expectations, but with this constant like pit of Blazer fandom of past years going like, oh no, everything could go wrong. Because I think that just like lives inside me as a fan of so long. But then the other part of me is like, no, we're going to be great. We got this. So it's very dual-sided. Yeah.
0: I, I can say pretty easily that I almost always come in with low expectations. Um, because I'm a low expectation person. Cause if I come in with low expectations, then there's a really good chance that they're going to be surpassed. <laughs> and then I can be happy because if I come in with high expectations, um, then, you know, what if they don't get met? But this year I kind of threw my regular pattern out the window and I came in with really high expectations. I said they were going to win 54 and. Now I'm going to be like completely a ball of stress for the entire season. So I'm never going to have high expectations again. (laughs) (laughs) This high expectations thing is very stressful. (gasps) And it's just a game. Yeah. Well, okay, okay. Even though 4C4 is a small sample size, how are you feeling about what you've seen so far with the Blazers?
1: I'm feeling pretty good. Okay. Um, I think that there's a lot of room for improvement. They have got to guard the three-point line. They have to figure it out. Um, but I think one of the things that I always look for earlier in the season is like how engaged the team is with each other and how supportive they are. And this team seems like they're a team that wants to band together. And I think any team that's willing to like to go full heart into something has a really good shot. Mm-hmm. So I see a lot of promise in that perspective especially. How about
0: you? Yeah, so team-wise, I I don't know. I hate to say that they have not met, met my expectations, but I had such high expectations, and that's all on me. <laughs> um, I have seen – I guess what I would say is that I have – I believe that they will get there. Um, yeah. but I don't. I think at this point they are still looking like a team that's real raw, that is not used to playing together. I mean, during that, mm. I said this when I was talking to Dan earlier. Um, that second, or that first half of the, I think it was the Sacramento game. I was just watching. Oh, it going, was I don't. E- I don't even know what I'm watching. Like uh-huh. the the players were all different. The plays were different. The it was just like, I didn't know who was going to move where I kept like expecting to see like chief and like his, you know, I was so used to what he did. Uh, You know, these, the dribble handoffs, which the blazers run over and over and over again, they were running it, but it looked somehow completely different. The pick and rolls were just like, you just had to hold your breath and pray. And it was just like, it was so different than what I had become accustomed to. Like, what do you think about what the, what it actually looks like.
1: Um, yeah, I, that game was tough to watch. Uh, I think that was just a really slow game. But I think it's it has glimpses of being super fun basketball if that transition, those transitions can work out. And I still don't know if we know really how lineups are going to work out. I think there's room to wiggle things around. But I also think as things settle... Maybe that won't need to be the case. Uh Um, I think I didn't expect to see greatness for a few games. Like, I really expected for there to be, like, a five-game buffer of watching them get used to playing with each other at this level of basketball. So I guess I didn't have high expectations for the first five games. So I feel like I'm feeling pretty good. (laughs) Good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we should mention that um, as of this recording, Zach Collins, who separated his shoulder. Oh, my God. I felt so terrible for him Mm -hmm. um, in the game against Dallas. He is um, or no. Sorry. Yes, it was the Dallas game. And he sat out the San Antonio game. He will also be out for the game against OKC. The MRI results are in, but they, we haven't really heard much about them. All we've heard from the team is that they're going to wait for him to get back to Portland before they evaluate him. I guess they want his regular doctors to take um, a look at him. So how did the Zach Collins injury affect you?
1: Um, that hurts uh it hurts as someone who's dislocated their shoulder a lot of times also just from a physical standpoint Mm -hmm. but zach is really crucial to this team Mm -hmm. um and i think watching zach grow has been one of the most fun parts of watching this team play the last years so that one hurts i really hope i hope that it's going to be a quick recovery because i want to see him back on the court how about you
0: I flashed back to, uh, you know, Myers and Ed Davis, both with their shoulder Mm -hmm. injuries. And, you know, Paul George is out now with, you know, he had two shoulder injuries. And it's just like, I I guess knees have always been our preoccupation. But when you Mm -hmm. think about it, shoulders, um, you know, can, uh, you know, shoulders are crucial for shooting the ball. You got to use them to get the ball up, right? Um, Yeah. But so I was, you know, I was trying to. Figure out what happened because it seemed like such an innocuous uh, situation. It wasn't like somebody yanking on his arm. It just like happened to be like wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. You know, um, I remember when Ed Davis, I remember the year that Ed Davis showed up and he was all like jacked up, up big. You know, he would like had yeah. worked out and he'd gotten all like huge and, um, and he really struggled to get in the rhythm that year and then eventually he ended up um, hurting his shoulder. Now, Zach, um, you know, put on some pounds, got, you know, more muscular, but – he didn't wasn't slowed down at all that i think by it like i remember when ed came back he seemed like a little like a little step slower like his body hadn't gotten used to all the yeah. way he put on and zach didn't seem affected in that same way um but i also you know can't help thinking like you know young guys like in their early 20s when they grow really fast um you know it just seems like their limbs and stuff, you know, are trying to, mm-hmm. to keep up and grow and stitch and knit all those fibers together to be strong. And, you know, it just, oh, it it just made me so sad. And like, there's there's absolutely no other posture besides that one. Like, as soon as it uh-huh. happened, and you saw him grab his arm like that, there's only one thing that has happened. And uh-huh. they grab their arms like that.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah, that one hurts. Yeah. So I'm, I'm
0: real curious to find out how long he's going to be out. And um, if this is going to be a lasting thing, we will hope that it is not. Um, But in the meantime, I guess, you know, like we were saying about the lineups, you know, we expected that it was going to take a little while for Terry Stotch to figure out what lineups he was going to want to use and rely on. And this kind of like throws a wrench into the system Mm -hmm. right off. And, you know, maybe it's good that they hadn't gotten super used to, any any one particular lineup because they can continue to adapt on the fly um and i was uh you know i'm kind of shocked at how suddenly we have three centers on the bench (laughs) like that happened yeah i mean we already had two on the bench but like we had sort of planned that (laughs) at least so i don't know maybe they're gonna rush gasol back i don't know it was uh it, it was upsetting, and I hope that he makes a very quick and very thorough and complete recovery. Um, one other interesting uh, little piece of news I, I thought that was interesting about these early games is that uh, Stotts is apparently uh, you know the best coach in NBA coaching challenge history. Yeah. <laughs> in, in the short history Incredible. of coaching challenges. Uh, he's already – one, two. So what were your reactions to that? Or what's, what are your
1: feelings like
0: altogether about the coaches' challenge?
1: I have so many feelings. I love it. I love it so much. I think it's fascinating. I think the way different coaches have used it has been fascinating. There were so many stupid, stupid calls to use it in the first quarter. Like, why? Why would you use something like that in the first quarter? That makes zero sense to me. Um, and I wondered going into the season, who's going to be dumb and just throw it away? Who's going to not care about something that they've been given an advantage of? And because I think it's easy to say, it's always been like this, whatever, this is an extra thing. Okay, I've always you know, you can always complain about a call. But this is different. They have to look at it, and I love it, and I think Stotts is a genius for saving it to the end and really utilizing it in both ways of helping a game outcome or helping maybe boost the confidence of a player or clarify that a player maybe isn't doing something they think they're seeing. So I love the Coach's Challenge. Um, That is my Coach's Challenge rant. I love it so much.
0: (laughs) You know, I am also – I'm also a fan. I guess I never thought I wouldn't like it. Uh, but when Stotts pulled that one uh, to have him look at one of Zach Collins' mm-hmm. fouls, I was like, oh, my God, that is genius. Because, mm-hmm. you know, as as far as the game went, you know, the next game he, you know, did a coach's challenge that did impact the game. But the one that indicated, you know, Zach, I've got your back. I'm going to go to bat mm-hmm. for you on this. I thought that was – super important. And I'm probably one of the people who's more, um I don't know if forgiving is the right word or not, but like, I understand that the refs are not going to get everything hundred percent correct. And in my mind, it's part of the game. Like, not that I don't want them to be, you know, not that I want them yeah. to not pay attention and not do a good job. I want them to do the absolute best possible job that they possibly can but they're human and yeah, i don't I was- want robots reffing the game i want people reffing the game but just like we don't expect every single ball to go in and yell and scream at you know every miss that a player makes i think that it's just going to happen with the speed of the game and you know on- you know they're being the refs being outnumbered, they're just not going to catch everything. And I just think it's part of the game. Um, yeah. But I do think it's interesting that, you know, now there's a little bit more uh, power in the team where the team can be like, hold up. No, 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 yeah. no. we want you to go check on that. So I think it's a, a nice balance of, you know, they still have high expectations for the refs, but now they teams can selectively just be like, you know, hold mm-hmm. the pause button. Um yeah. But like semi related and- is the the two minute call. Do you have a, a similar thoughts or uh opinions
1: about the last two minute reports? Um like I get it and they get a whole the refs get them for the whole game. We just see the last two minutes. Mm-hmm. Um and I kind of wonder why like, maybe just don't make it public. Maybe show the players. But I don't know if it helps a fan base mm-hmm. in any sense of the way. Like, I can understand how it helps a player or a team understand maybe, okay, that was missed. Maybe these are changes I can tweak to make sure that I don't get a call missed or whatever. Because there's things you can do to make things more obvious. But I think as a pl- as a fan, like, okay, cool that wasn't a foul on Lamarcus. I knew that when we watched that, you just couldn't see it again. And now I know that the outcome could have changed. I don't know. I don't know what the point is. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, to, to
0: me, I've also never really had a problem with the last two minute reports. And I'm kind Mm -hmm. of surprised that like both, like everybody hates the last two minute reports and I can't figure out why, like the players don't like it. The teams don't like it. The refs don't like it. Like nobody likes it. And, you know, I just figure, you know, People are going to relitigate the last minutes of games, especially when they're close. So you might as well have, you know, the source material to look at and go, oh, this is what they thought about that. So I don't know. I just I, I honestly can't understand why people hate them. So nobody has successfully really explained to me why people hate them so much.
1: I, I think it's just the game is over. There's already an outcome. And now you want to tell me you messed up. Like, I get that you messed up.
0: But people write like right so much, I would think that they would like it and be like, Aha, you know, like, so the one that recently happened is with the Blazers and San Antonio game. Yeah. CJ did not foul LaMarcus and LaMarcus should not have had free throws.
1: Yeah. Um. I mean, I want to be right, but I'd rather be right when there's still... Something can happen about it, right? Like I don't care now that it's over. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's. A, I guess it's a, a fine balance between you know slowing down the game way too much in order to get everything right, but then also wanting everybody to be right all the time and not yeah. you know and, and it, you know the the last thing the refs want to do is impact the outcome yeah. of the game. So yeah. I don't know. I just think that people have unreal expectations about. How mm-hmm. precise and you know, uh, refs can call games. Not to say okay. that I don't want them to be held to a high standard. I just think it's totally impossible. It's impossible. <laughs> yeah, to, to they're moving real fast, <laughs> right? And I just look at it, it's, it's part of the game. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just a part of the game.
1: I mean, there are definitely calls I'll watch like three or four times and be like, oh, okay, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, I
1: see it now <laughs> that I've seen it three times in slow mo. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and
0: run the uh, interview that we did with our friend Janelle Moore. Janelle writes for um, Golden State of Mind. She is a longtime Golden State Warrior fan. She actually has been on the podcast a number of times. She's been a fan of the Warriors because she's originally a fan of Steph. Um, And uh, it's been interesting to see what kind of a season – Golden State Warriors are off to. They're in a little bit different place than they've been the last several years. Um, and you know, we're kind of enjoying it a little bit, <laughs> <laughs> but not everybody is. There's true fans. There's people who've been with that team through uh, thick and thin. And so we called her on, we called her up to find out, uh, how she's feeling about things and, you know, kind of what people think about what is going on with the Golden State Warriors and also to ask her how she thinks things are going to look next week when the Blazers fly down to San Francisco for their first game in the new arena. So let's go ahead and uh, run our interview with Janelle. And everybody, you're going to want to stick around because after it, we are going to talk a little bit about what our expectations are for uh, some of or how some of the uh, current trailblazers have met or not met our
1: uh, expectations. All right. Thank you so much for joining us today, Janelle. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing fine. And thank you for having me.
1: Well, the season has started and we've all been watching and Tara and I have been talking a little bit about expectations in this episode and I'm kind of wondering, I know you're a, you write for the Warriors and so there have been a lot of high expectations in the last few seasons. Uh, What are your expectations going into this season?
2: My expectations for this season is pretty tempered. As you know that, you know, due to the departure of uh, Kevin Durant, Injuries to Clay Thompson and uh, a whole roster overhaul in um, the youth movement. I, my expectations are pretty pretty lowered. But, mm-hmm. you know, my hope for this season is them making the playoffs as at least the sixth seed. But the way that uh, they've played in the first two games, that's, that's pretty... Pretty rough, you know. And a lot of what happened during the past two games is effort. They didn't have any effort. And, you know, Coach Kerr talking about how that this is the way it's going to be this year. It really doesn't help matters much. And you're supposed to be a coach and you're supposed to be a leader. Do what Joe Lacob is paying you for, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: So have your expectations kind of changed since the season started versus coming into the season?
2: Yeah. Again, coming into the season, I was thinking that maybe there would be a slight chance of we getting Clay back and a chance that the roster wouldn't be as bad as it is. But, man, I I don't know what to think right now. the The only thing I could think of is, you know, it's a process, and I hope that they get it together.
0: Hey, Janelle, uh, it seems like the, over the last several years, Steve Kerr has been absolutely untouchable and, um, it seems like he's a little bit of, I don't want to say in the hot seat cause that usually implies like a coach might lose his job and I'm, that's not what I'm implying, but yeah, what's going on with the, the coach, the, and how he's approaching things. He is approaching things
2: poorly. See what it is is, You know, it seems like since he's been winning, he's been above reproach. And even when he, even when we had that stacked roster, you know, some of the his decisions and his moves need needed to be criticized. I, you know, like you said, I mean, he's not in danger of losing his job, but he do need to um, carry the brunt of some criticism, you know, or, or blame. Mm-hmm. He, he got he got all the glory for for these past five years or so. It's time for him to take the blame because for one, he is stubborn. Kerr is stubborn as all hell. He know good and well that he do not have the personnel anymore to run that motion offense. But what does he do? Run the motion offense instead of simplifying matters for these young players, and and it makes. And also, as far as um, how he deals with Steph in particular, you know, I don't kind of like that because it seemed like he don't have a lot of confidence in him, and um, he he seemed to undermine him. How can you undermine your own player, the best player, the player that really got you where you were? Because if Kerr was uh, coach of the Knicks, he he wouldn't even be in the lead coaching.
0: What do you mean by undermining Steph?
2: I mean, for example, you know, yesterday when he was asked about Steph's usage rate and he said, well, you know, we could turn him into James Harden and whatever. Uh, Kirk believes that Steph cannot, you know, carry the load and want to put limitations on him, even after showing people what he can do in, you know, 2016. That's what I mean by undermining them and whatever.
0: Do you think that there are some young, promising players on that team and uh, they, they just haven't been a development organization over the last few years?
2: That's that's their biggest problem. When it, Whenever we had that stacked roster, they skimped on development, you know, um, Jordan Bell in particular. You know Jordan had some maturity problems, but he was a a player that could have been a great piece for us with more development, and more patience. But they gave the wrong, um, you know, they gave the wrong guy the attention, which was Damian Jones. He had the size, he had the look, but he did not have the heart. He has gone. He went a few games without rebounds or one rebound, or two rebounds. He just didn't have that dog in him. But he had that look, though. And Jordan
1: know? Bell has that that need. Right. I remember watching him even since college, and he's always had that, like, tenacity for the game.
2: And when he did that alley-oop in the, his preseason debut, mm-hmm. you know, bouncing it off the glass and dunking it, Kerr didn't like it. The players liked it. And I think Kerr has... Kerr held that against him ever since, and that wasn't cool at all. And it kind of broke Jordan's will. And that's something that you don't want to do with a, a young guy. You know, let him know that, he, you know, show him that he's wrong or, or whatever, but don't break his will. And knowing that you need, you know, an athletic body like that, you know, for death, you know, you, you don't do that
1: do you think the move to San Francisco has anything to do with the slow start?
2: No, because they knew that they were moving to San Francisco years ago. Mm -hmm. When Joe Jacob bought that team, they wanted to move the Warriors back to San Francisco, which I think, I think that was a bad idea, Mm -hmm. you know, because Oakland has stuck with that franchise through thick and thin for 47 years. And an area like that, Deserved a new stadium and the, the workers, you know, deserve the new stadium and the community. But, you know, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. They, they're chasing after um, the Tech Bros dollar. But most of those Tech Bros don't know a thing about basketball and don't care. Mm-hmm.
1: So the Blazers are going to be coming to town on the 4th to play the Warriors. Uh, what, are your ex- what do you expect to see from that game?
2: I am... Hoping for a competitive game, mm-hmm. I'm hoping that the Warriors will keep that same energy that they displayed against New Orleans. Net, you know, keep it, you know, for next week, mm-hmm. and then to build upon that. I mean, I know it's a process and all, but what happened during these the first two games of the season is unacceptable. I, and I don't care if it is, you know, a youth movement there. You you've got to compete, and that's what I'm hoping for next week. I'm hoping to you know, that we lock in on defense as much as we can. I'm hoping that the focus on offense is there as well. And, you know, we'll see what happens.
0: What did you think about Draymond's comments that he has been making recently about the team being bad?
2: I mean, it ain't like he lied. But I think, you know, that's just Draymond's way. Draymond is brutally honest, and there's always a method to his madness, he he does everything purposeful, you know. Yeah. Maybe he done it to light a fire under those young players, you know. Yeah, nobody has has doubt about that.
0: You wrote about uh, one of their young players who turned down an invitation from Draymond. You want to uh, talk about that for a sec?
2: Yes, I really want to talk about Omari Spellman, um, and that's who it was. You know, he's come he came in from Atlanta and, you know, Draymond took an a liking to him and wanted to invite him to the Janet Jackson concert. And, you know, Janet Jackson is the icon and you don't have to you know really be a fan of her music, per se. But, you know, you, you kind of know who she is. And the concert wasn't even the point. If the concert was the point. Draymond wouldn't have invited Omari. He he would have invited his fiance. Mm-hmm. But the point the point was to, to build some a, a mentorship, you know, to try to be a mentor because like Omari, Draymond struggled with weight, with discipline and, and all of that. And maybe Draymond see sees himself in Omari. And for him to turn down an opportunity like that, that was a bad move. In retrospect, I've heard some info about Omari and about his weight. And what a lot of people don't realize, even I didn't realize until reading the article today, is that to deal with depression and to deal with stress, Omari would overeat. And that's why he gained up to 300 pounds. He had family taking advantage of him. And, you know, his play suffered. Everything suffered. And he turned to food for comfort. And he literally ate his pain. And for me to to talk trash about him or, you know, I feel bad about that. I don't feel bad about the article that I've written because, you know, I really believe that he did miss a golden opportunity to um, get counsel from Draymond, but my off the cuff comments, you know, I and after learning what I've learned about him tonight, that's, you know, I feel bad about that.
0: Well, and it, it sounds like, the organizational culture like you know he came in new to the team and was extended an invitation by one of you know the two all-stars and didn't get that he was supposed to take it you know what i mean like the like yeah. you were talking about there having not been an emphasis on the youth culture like nobody took the time to tell Spellman, like oh if one of the vets asks you to do something you do it like even if Janet Jackson isn't your thing. You go because they're reaching out to you. It just sounds like that just hasn't been a part of the culture. And you know, Cassidy, we're so uh, used to the Damian Lillard way of of being that um, that like it's it's very strange to think that things I are mean, going in a different thing. way.
2: But <laughs> you <laughs> But it's the same thing. Like for example, if, if I was new to the Blazers and if Dame Donna has taken such a liking to me. And wanted to invite me to a boxing match. You know what? I'm going. Mm-hmm. Even though boxing ain't my thing, I'm going because Dame asked me to. And there's a reason behind that. And that, that was the whole point with, you know, Draymond and Omari. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for
1: joining us. Can you tell us a little bit about how people can kind of find your work and your new podcast?
2: Okay. Um, my handle on twitter is at janelle 12 that is j-a-n-n-e-l-l-e 12 and you could you can see my work at golden state of mind and my new podcast is 3082 and that's on itunes as of today
1: awesome well congratulations on the new podcast thank you so much for coming on and being on the show again Um, And we're excited to talk to you throughout the season and see how expectations
2: um, continue. Thank you for having me. And, you know, if if you want me on the show still, you got it. (laughs) (laughs) It is always a pleasure. And and I appreciate the opportunity. Well, we appreciate you. Thank you so much.
0: This is Advertiser Content brought to you by Frito-Lay.
1: Just go to Fridolysnacket. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends four three twenty twenty-three. Void wherever hip. Here's a worth the snacks awarded in the form of fifty-two coupons each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at fridolasnacket.spnation.com So uh Golden State fans don't seem to be happy. Um so that's happening right now. Uh Tara, how do you how do you interpret things over there?
0: You know, I just, I think it's so fascinating. I mean, her points about the Warriors having not prepared for the younger generation are just like completely on point. And she's been, I've been, you know, following her on Twitter for like three years. And she's been saying this for years. She said that when, you know, Kev, when they, you know, made the deal to get to Kevin Durant, she was like, they're trading away their future. Um And uh, I, like, I see what she means right now. Um, Like, you know, uh, Kerr has talked about how, oh, now they have, you know, nine players under 23. Well, it's not like a big surprise. Like, (laughs) you knew this was going to happen. And so I guess my big rant about Golden State has always been, Um, You know, people talk about them as a dynasty and they're always like Golden State Warriors are a dynasty. Now the dynasty is over. And my whole thing has always been they have never, ever been a dynasty because to me, a dynasty is all about bringing up the next generation. And they had never done that. They had always been focused on the current stars. They had never been. You know, they don't have Anthony Simons and Zach Collins being developed along behind their other players. You know, they're not like San Antonio, who just, like, never
1: lets up for the last 20 years. Um, And and they don't seem to have the culture in place where the veterans are kind of helping those younger guys bring themselves up like we do in Portland. And I think we're spoiled that way. When you start looking at the rest of the league, you're like, wow. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I think you're right about that. Like the the thing about uh, Draymond and Omari Spellman was uh, really interesting because, I mean, it sounds like Draymond did reach out and want to do it. But like you said, there's no culture in the organization that's like, mm-hmm. this is what you do. It's yeah. just like, um, oh, by the way, so the article that uh, Janelle wrote about that was sheer genius because... Uh, she wrote about, you know, the Omari, you know, turning down the Jackson, Janet Jackson invitation, but within the article, she wove in a bunch of Janet Jackson lyrics or song titles. Oh I know, That's genius. I know. And I don't know that many ja- Janet Jackson songs, so I didn't catch nearly, I only caught like three, but I think she said they were like eight or 10 in there. So, uh, <sighs> people should go <laughs> play that and read it because it was so subtle and so it was so good. Um, but yeah, so, you know, Golden State did pull it together and, and beat the Pelicans. I mean, this is kind of that kind, that time of year where like all the, you know, all the pundits that had been talking, all the analysts, everything that we've been talking about, like it can just get thrown out the window because we, everybody was just, you know, making their best guess.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then when the season really gets started, like, you know, who thought Phoenix was going to come in and yeah. like a really, a good solid NBA team,
1: right? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of surprises, and I think the league always finds a way to settle itself out to an extent. Mm-hmm. But I think there's going to be some su- surprises. I think so far, what do you what do you think are the biggest uh,
0: team wide? Like, which teams are the biggest surprises to you?
1: I mean, I'm ki- I am kind of shocked that this is the state that Golden State is in. Um, I turned on the game the other day, and I was like. I just I had no idea what was happening. I turned it on, and I saw the score against Oklahoma City, and I was like, What? And I screamed so loud that like my house was like flooded down to my 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 living room, where I was, I was like, what's going on? Um, so that's been a surprise, but I think just overall, it's been a really like a lot of close games that I didn't necessarily expect to be close. So that's good. I think a competitive season makes for a fun season to watch.
0: Right. And, you know, people were bemoaning early the the fact that uh, Zion is going to be out for quite a while. And while that is definitely still a bummer, um, it seems like the basketball is plenty entertaining, even without him. Oh, you know who's been really
1: fun? Memphis. Like, oh, yeah, I have not seen a Memphis game.
0: Their young players are just fantastic. Well, and also Carl Anthony Towns has been just like playing out of his mind. Like maybe Mm -hmm. this is finally the year that like I was just shaking in my boots every year about uh, (laughs) the Timberwolves and everybody was like, really? You think the Timberwolves like this is going to be the year of the Timberwolves? And like it Mm
1: -hmm. hasn't been, but maybe this is the year for the Timberwolves. Oh, I hope not. The West is full enough. Please. I know. know. Until they move them east where they belong. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, Yeah. Um, So who has kind of surpassed your expectations from the Blazers? Let's see. In in terms of the
0: Blazers, I think my biggest uh, guys who've surpassed, you know, I'm super excited for Rodney Hood and what he has been doing. He looks so natural out there. Like he's uh I guess one of the things that's really surpassed my expectations is how awesome it feels to like just have confidence in shooters. <laughs> I didn't realize yeah. how much I had missed that and so I didn't have high expectations. I kind of was like, "Oh yeah, we got shooters." Yeah, like, you know. I didn't really know what that felt like. But now that I see Mm -hmm. like Hood out there hitting his shots, I'm like right on. That's what shooters uh, that's what shooters look like. And also just Bazemore has just been so delightful. Like I had heard that he was a good guy and that we were going to really like him and he was, you know, a, a good player and that he was feisty. But I didn't really expect just like. The pure joy every time he steps on the (laughs) court and just like the, you know, just playing with abandon. And um, it's been a while since we've had a player like that. So
1: that has definitely surpassed my expectations. How about you? I'm with you on Bazemore. It's been so fun to watch. Um, And I think the other thing that's just kind of surpassed my expectations is how – Tightly knit of a group maybe off the court or on the bench that they already seem to be because I think that leads to good things. And so I'm going to say surpassing my expectations are bench celebrations. <laughs> also Hassan Hassan Whiteside reactions because there's some really good ones.
0: Yeah, his uh, reactions on the court are like uh, – like we already have like a couple of memes Um Although, have you seen the one of Kent Bazemore doing the backward somersault? And oh, so good. Up with it? That, is, that was amazing. Um, but So I forgot that you love bench celebrations. So you always watch the bench. And I like don't watch the bench very
1: much. So can you remember <laughs> any highlights from the bench celebrations so far? Um, I think Whiteside realizing what it means to be on this side of Dame time was fantastic. Um, I think... I mean, we all know what it feels like. And so I think as a new player joining the team, you're like, oh, it doesn't feel horrible. Like, it's it feels so great when you're not on the other side of this. Um, And so that was really fun. I think there have been some good reactions. And my favorite is Nurk, like, is into it, but still just, like, you know, kind of calm. And Nurk and Gasol's little, like, relationship they've formed while being injured together is fantastic. There's so much good stuff going on on the bench.
0: (laughs) All right. Sometimes I I
1: rewatch a game just for the bench.
0: I got to pay more attention. I always forget. I I, honestly, so much happens on the basketball court that it takes all my concentration to like just follow, (laughs) just follow what is happening. That like, if I look away for a second, it like takes too long for me to like readjust when I'm supposed to (laughs) look back on the court. Okay, so how about players who have maybe just like met your
1: expectations like okay, he's what I thought he was. Um I think for this one, I mean, Damian Lillard will never just be meeting expectations in my book. I think he's exceeded all expectations, but I think he's meeting the expectations that he set for himself. Mm-hmm. Um and so we're seeing Dame be Dame and especially last few games seeing more of a rhythm. The other player that I knew I expected a lot from coming into the season was to see Anfernee. And I think we've seen a lot more of what Anfernee is going to become, which is exciting. He has such a sweet
0: shot. I I almost called it like a sweet little shot, but he's not little. I remind myself. Um, But do you find your I find myself when I'm watching the games, especially like when I was at the when I was at opening night and like so sitting like super far away. Mm Like Hassan Whiteside just looks like a size extra large Anthony Simons.
1: He does. It's a it's He'll fantastic. It me. No, I see it. When I especially when I'm like far away, when it's like a faraway vision, mm-hmm. um, I definitely like see it. I think there's a silhouette thing going on. Right. And and uh Damien and Bazemore I've also found kind of
0: they run sort of similarly. Uh-huh. They, yeah, it's uh, getting used to the new players is, has been interesting. Well, so for me, as far as uh, meeting expectations, I you know I was super looking forward to Scal, and I've been super pleased uh, to see that he's been getting minutes. They're not trying to, like, have him do too much, but they're getting him on the court, and I think he's quitting himself really, really well. Honestly, before preseason, I would have had, like, I would have – my expectations were way lower. And then when I saw him in preseason and realized, oh my god, he's got a nice shot, my expectations for him went a little bit up. And I just have to say I think uh, he's doing a great job. Like you know Mm. that you can slide him in there and he'll play hard for a few minutes. He'll hold things down. He'll get a dunk. You know, He'll get a little – he might get a pass. He'll grab rebounds. Uh, He does whatever it is he needs to do and he does it like – like I saw a play unfold uh in the last game against San Antonio, and I saw Tolliver like actually do like the eye sign to him, like pointing to his eyes, like watch mm-hmm. what we're gonna do and I was like, oh, that's so great i love I love watching uh people mm-hmm. learn uh learn while they're playing, so um yeah, uh, yeah, but we also have to talk about people, if there are any players on the team, that have not really lived up to your expectations.
1: you have any candidates for that? Yeah, I think the person that I don't think has necessarily made the biggest impact um, for the box stats-wise is Tolliver. I don't think we've quite seen how he fits into the team, but I do love seeing those teaching moments that you were talking about, and I've seen a lot of those. Which I really do appreciate, because I think just just as we talked about Golden State lacking it, I think the more that you build that culture, the better your team will be for a long, long time. And so I'm happy about that, but I'd like to see more from Tolliver,
0: yeah, i, I I'm kind of in the same boat with Tolliver, but all it really is is I just I want to just see him hit hit, uh, hit some threes, and as soon as he starts hitting threes with regularity, like. I'll be fine, because that's what he was. You know, um, that's what they said that he was going to do. Is he's going to come in and he's a you know he's put him in and he'll get a three, and that hasn't really happened yet. But apparently. For a lot of his career, he's always been excellent at taking charges. And we've seen that, which is always really fun. I mean, taking a charge is one of those like energy plays that like gets everybody excited. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, if he wants to go on there and uh, take a charge, that's awesome. And he seems to do a pretty good job of uh, setting screens. So really all I'm just waiting for is for his threes to start falling. How about CJ? How are
1: you feeling about CJ so far? How, hashtag season of CJ. I feel like CJ is heating up for the season of mm-hmm. CJ. yeah. I think it's been a you know, an incline, and I, I, I think I'm thinking meeting expectations. I feel like the first few games should always just be an incline. You're getting back in the groove of mm-hmm. things, and then we're going to just see season of CJ. Yeah, you don't want to see anybody just like—
0: you know, not do anything. <laughs> yeah. you don't want to see, any. and I don't. I haven't seen any players just like not get 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 out there and just not do anything. I mean, mm-hmm. Hazonia, we haven't even talked about him, but you know, he's a guy that I'm like super confident when he has the ball. I'm not sure what's going to happen at the end of the play, but <laughs> he's. I know, but if he's going to bring it up, I'm totally fine. And you know, Whiteside, I don't think he. Uh, you know, it's. I think he's fine. I think Whiteside is like going to be totally fine. And like, there's going to be moments where, you know, he's not super into it. And then there's going to be moments where he does everything. But we, you know, we, we have, there's limited things that are needed out of him. And I think he's going to be able to bring them every night. Yeah, I do too. So I want to do one last thing. I want to do an update on our first to 50 that we uh, did our last episode with Lindsay so, uh, for people who didn't hear it, uh, in honor of the 50th anniversary season, uh, me and you and Lindsay Hostetler, um, one of the editors for Blazers Edge, we chose which players we thought would, were going to be the first to 50 in certain box score categories. So, uh, just wanted to provide an update on where we are for that. So, um, our first category was the first to 50 assists. And uh, Lindsay and I said Damien, you said CJ. Damon in fact, leads everybody at this point. He's got 25 assists. Um, personal fouls. Uh, you said Collins, Lindsay said Zach, and I said Whiteside, but it's actually Mr. Kent Bazemore who leads the team in personal fouls. Which I thought was interesting.
1: I'm happy to see it's not Zach. I was really <laughs> hoping it wouldn't be. So yay! I, I mean, that's the thing. It's like he was, he
0: was, he's been playing well. He's been playing within himself, not getting in foul trouble. I mean, but yeah, Bay's uh, Bay's is leading the team right now in uh, personal fouls as of 10:29. Nobody has yet scored 50 points in a game. So my dream of of Dame coming out and scoring 50 on opening night did not come true.
1: It happened for someone else on another mm-hmm. team. But, yeah. You know.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll talk, talk about, about that another time. <laughs> okay, uh, who do you think is leading in blocks?
1: Ooh, um, hustle board instead. I'm gonna say base, yeah, it is why You're not? Right. Yep, he's got he's
0: just all over the place, he's got five blocks, so we're gonna wait a while, I think, until we get the team crosses, uh, or 50. In- until anybody gets 50 blocks, but um. Mm-hmm. He now is the leader. Rebounds. This is exciting. We all chose Whiteside. And in fact, Whiteside is the leader. Whiteside <laughs> actually already has 49 rebounds. Oh, my goodness. So, I love it. Next game, he, um, I'm going to guess, will probably be our first first to 50.
1: We got rebounds. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> steals. Uh, both Dame and Bays are uh, tied with five. They each have oh, cool. five steals. And uh, the last category was dunks, and we all chose Whiteside, and in fact, Whiteside is the leader. Um, his numbers are not quite so gaudy on dunks, though. He has six. Need more dunks. Yep, yeah. We're going to need more dunks. Anyway. So that is the situation on first to 50. So the next time we talk, I think we're going to be able to uh, crown mm-hmm. Whiteside as the first to first 50 rebounds. Yeah. I think so too.
1: Well, good for him. I'm glad, I'm glad to see it. I'm happy for it.
0: We'll get, we'll send him like a little certificate or something. Yep. First
1: of
0: 15. Cool. Well, let's go ahead and, and wrap it up here. Um, That's going to do it for this week's hoops and talks podcast. Don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at hoops and talks and subscribe to the show in the blazers edge podcast feed. Um, and, of course, we love email. We gave it at the top of the show. We're going to give it here again, hoopsandtalks at gmail.com. We would love to hear from listeners. Um, give us your icebreaker ideas. Um, you always have really good things to also ask for, but I'm, like, completely blanking out right now. What else can else can uh, You
1: know, you could us? ask us for our icebreaker ideas, who you think will be the next first to 50 in any given category. And... I don't know. Why not sell us your Halloween costumes for the Blazers? Individualized ideas. That's a great idea. Well, you can
0: find me at TCB Biggs on Twitter, and Cassidy, why don't you tell the folks where
1: they can find you and take us out of here? And you can find me at Cassidy Gamut on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and go Blazers!